am Sandy Willette. And I am Nancy Marie. Co-chairs of Beyond the Mass Committee to evaluate scholarly doctoral projects. Next deadline for work to be considered to present on Beyond the Mask is October 1. Please complete the one-page application found on Beyond the Mask webpage to be considered. We look forward to working with you. Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Good afternoon, Sharon. What's happening today? in hot from working and you're coming in hot too right yep yeah we're both we're both uh, busy people and um, had to run in and get this one done but that's okay that's what life's about these days isn't it isn't that the truth and we've been trying to get this one done for months so <laughs> so happy our guest was able to fit us into her very 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 busy schedule yeah, it sounds like it. Well, why don't you introduce our mystery guest today, and uh, we'll let her tell a little bit more about herself. Absolutely. We have Maureen McCartney Anderson, and I remember when she was just a McCartney uh, <laughs> a, a long time ago, and she's from New Jersey, and she has got quite the story to tell about advocacy, but it's not the advocacy that most CRNAs would tell the story about, but it's just a lovely story. And uh, Jeremy, you're going to enjoy this. So Maureen, tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do in your day job and how you started down this path. So um, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I I love that I'm described as a mystery guest. And uh, (laughs) I really appreciate you guys, um, you know, listening to my story and just kind of getting the word out about some of the things that we're doing here in New Jersey that will hopefully trickle to a wider, wider area soon. So um, obviously, you've already said my name's Maureen. You knew me as McCartney and I got married a few years back. And I am a CRNA practicing in the state of New Jersey. And Sharon, our paths originally crossed because of all of my involvement at the state level with our state association in New Jersey. And I was kind of on that path for advocating for practice and, you know, professional rights. And and I still am. But um, you get married and become a mother and things kind of change a little bit. And my story changed rather dramatically um, because I had a baby that, you know, While I was carrying the baby, I didn't know anything was going on, but I had a baby that was born with some uh, handicaps. And so my whole world changed basically in an instant at that point. And my advocacy, while I still, you know, work very hard for our state association, our profession, our, my level of advocacy has kind of changed directions a little bit for, um, 
helping advocate for the special needs children's population. So how did you get started? Why don't you tell a little bit about what you have been advocating for? And we'll explore that just a little bit more and and why and how this kind of got started. So um, as I just I mentioned, my son was born um, with kind of, you know, he's multiply disabled in terms of he's unable to walk um, without the assist of a walker or a device to use to walk. And so as he started to grow up, I, you know, you're a mom, you want to bring your kid to a playground. And I was quickly noticing how inaccessible and non-inclusive the playgrounds were in our immediate area. And so, um, you know, I thought in today's world, we could really do better than that because a playground is an area where kids grow, they learn, they play together, they, you know, they mature. And so I was at a point where I didn't have a place to bring my son because he couldn't navigate any of the surfaces of wood chips. And even if he could, there was no equipment that he was able to access because they were all climbers, ladders, steps, things like that. And so I approached our town recreation committee and kind of made a plea with them to, you know, what can we do? How can we improve this? And they told me to go to the town council meeting. So in true CRNA fashion, because we're all very type A, I created a plan. I met with a playground company. I created a budgeting strategy and I created a timeline and I designed a playground. And I went to the committee and, or sorry, to the town council. And I stood in front of them during the public comment and asked where they stood on an inclusive playground. And if any of the playgrounds were up for remodel or for if a new playground were going to be resurrected, would they consider making an inclusive playground? And, you know, of course, at that juncture, they kind of looked at me like, wow, where is this woman coming from? And so I said, and not only that, but I've, I've kind of been looking into the process and I found out that this is what it would cost and this is how it could get done and kind of gave them an avenue or a plan as to what we could do to make it happen. And they looked at me completely um, in awe, I guess it would be the most complimentary way of putting it. And um, they said, well, Mrs. Anderson, we'll, we'll look right into that. And thankfully, afterwards, I had the mayor and the council members um, all approach me and ask me, you know, how did I go about this? And we want to make this happen. So that was in December of 2019 when that all happened. So December of 2019, and then how long did it take to kind of get this done, Maureen? So December of 2019, and then um, roughly 2020 was the phase in which we had to basically convince the town, if you will, other than the the town council and the, the mayor, because there sadly was a lot of pushback about it at first. Um, and I think people's perceptions they didn't know what it meant. They were worried, according to these people, they were worried about what kind of individuals would come, you know, come to the playground. Would it be drawing crowds? Because the playground is in the middle of a neighborhood. And um, so they were very hesitant at first, which was really hard, you know, as a mom who was at the time in, in 2019, my son was, um, he was only three years old. And so while it was three years, it was still, I was still somewhat raw to handling a medically complex child that was unexpected. And so, you know, to have to navigate those conversations in rooms where people would stand up and say, well, is this playground going to have anything for regular kids to play at? Or is this playground going to be fun for my regular kid? 
And um, Ooh, so that's trying- a term, my regular kid. But I'm sure yeah. that's exactly what was said. And it was said, and I would always have to kind of take a breath at that moment because I don't think it would ever come from a place of them being mean. I think it's just that was, you know, it was a perception because they hadn't encountered it before. Mm-hmm. And I tried to give the benefit of the doubt more often than not. And I tried to explain the benefits of inclusion and and what it means and, you know, how it's, you know, it's our basic right as human beings to be able to access public spaces and utilize them and how their regular kid could benefit from being in an inclusive environment and learning what, you know, differences may look like and how they can be a better human being by surrounded by differences. And little by little, you know, people really started to get on board with that, which was great. The project was going to move forward regardless, but it was a lot of perception changing in the process that really was a lot of work. And so that was 2020 and 2021 was, you know, the design period over that course of time because we would design something and people would say they didn't like this or they didn't like that. And so there was just a lot of back and forth with design in addition to funding. We had to have a means of funding. So one of the suggestions I had made was to make a nonprofit, a 501c3, which is a charity organization, which would help be able to solicit donations because no offense to a township, but sometimes it's hard for people to get on board with donating to a municipality because they get worried they're not sure where their money's going to go. And also for for other, you know, other obvious reasons, people would love to donate to a charity. And so I was able to get the charity started up and have it recognized by both the state and the federal government as a 501c3. And we got our board together. Um, and that was a means of helping um, raise donations and also just kind of create awareness as to what we were doing. And in the meantime, we not only created the charity, but we also worked on writing some grants at the municipal, at the county level and the state level to help funding as well. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. So Maureen, I just want to go back for a minute, you know, uh, sitting here as a parent, um, now to hear someone say their children are regular, which kind of insinuated that yours aren't. Oh yeah. Um, I imagine not only the, the anger that comes with that, but the hurt and disappointment. And, and I just want to go back to that because you know, I think we can all learn from that because you know i think that the way we say things we need to recognize can have a different impact depending upon who's around and in your case they knew you were around but they did continue to say that and and not that they meant probably any harm from that but let's go back to that for just a minute and 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 not the anger but what else did you feel when that was said Uh, i mean I have to say the the whole process of just being a parent to a handicapped child to begin with is is just a lot to manage on a regular basis. But when you do have comments like that, there's different periods in the time that you receive a diagnosis to present day 
and how you're able to handle yourself. So had somebody said that to me when my son, his name is Raymond, when my son Raymond was born and he was say three months old, I probably honestly just would have walked away bawling and crying my eyes out. And thankfully, you know, I've evolved as a person and as a parent and as an advocate for him and for kids like him that I just take a deep breath and I kind of try to make it a teaching point at that point rather than make it something about my feelings or about his feelings um, and just try to change what their perception is because perception is reality. And if that's how they perceive things at that moment in time and you're not able to make a change at that moment, then you're never going to make a difference. So you said that you had to go back and forth about the actual design because they, who was they who said, I don't like this design, et cetera. It was, you know, because it's a a municipality and it's a public space, there was just a lot of public comment about it in terms of the amount of green space or the height of equipment or um, just, just like even something as simple as down to the color of the equipment. They were very fixated on. Um, they were fixated on the walkways through the park and how that would look and the aesthetics. And there were so many different things that I, I didn't put a lot of weight into because my perception is that those aren't important to me, but those are important to other people. And so we tried to really work with all the different special interest groups to really make as many people as happy as possible. And I think in the process we did, I think you know there was compromise across the board. I think at the time they were hesitant, but I think at this point now that's a completed project, I think everybody's very happy. Any other particular barriers that you had besides the ubiquitous that? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, for as many of those negative comments, I was thankfully also hearing some really great feedback as well. And I think in terms of advocacy, one of the one of the challenges that I would meet is you know, I'm a mom, I actually now have three children. So my oldest son is the one that has some um, handicaps to him. He's now seven. Um, I have a four year old and I have a two year old. And so this project took on a whole new meaning as I kept having more children. um, Because that space was just as much for my other two kids as it was for my kid that has some challenges. Because how can I bring my two able bodied, typically developing children to a space that their brother couldn't play in. And so um, it was, you know, it just kind of evolved as time went on. And, and the other part too, is that when you have a child with, with challenges or some different needs than a typically developing child, it's a very isolating world because you may or may not be in the school district. If you're not in the school district, you really don't have a feeling of community at all because there's really no place to go. And so I was very, very driven to make a space to be able to give my child a space in the community and to get let the community get to know him. And, and as we talk about community, Maureen, I, th- I thought it was very interesting. I mean, I want to talk about, you know, how'd you go about fundraising and raising awareness? But the CRNA community actually played a role in that. Oh, yes, they just did. Wonderful. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. So I'm a very private person in general. I don't put anything on social media. Generally speaking, I don't have any pictures of my family on social media. I don't have any personal information on social media. I've just never been that type of person. Um, And so I never made any kind of birth announcements or anything like that. And I'm not hiding anything. I just, I just choose not to put anything on social media. And so when this project came around, I kind of was at that fork in the road that I was like, what, what can I do to get this out there to a broader base? And make something positive come from all of this. And so um, 
on a whim, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Facebook group CRNA Moms. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> They're a pretty powerful group. Yes, they um, are. <laughs> And I can't remember how many people are in that group now, but roughly, I don't know, 20,000 or something, that would give make or take. Sense. Yes. I, I haven't looked, but it's a lot. It's a lot. And so one morning, it was, it was a weekend morning, and I, I decided to put my story about my son Raymond on there. And I put a picture of him in his walker at another inclusive playground. And he, you know, his, he's got an ear to ear smile on the picture. And I just put it out there. I said, you know, my name is Maureen Anderson. Um, I'm a CRNA. And here I am trying to give her her child a place in this world that isn't very accepting at times. And um, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make an inclusive playground and I'm making it in this community and this is what it's going to look like. And But, you know, funding, of course, is a barrier. Would anybody consider jumping into this and like I, I asked for just a couple, of, if anybody's able to spare a couple of dollars to make this initiative a reality, it would mean the world to my son, Raymond, and to our community. And the response I got within minutes was just beyond overwhelming. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And th- the support and the positivity and the encouragement and just the overwhelming, you know, feeling of what came from the, that group of women was just incredible. And within 24 hours or so, I would say we raised, I think right out of the gate, it was like they donated $5,000 um, wow. just within, wow. within like 24 hours for a woman with a child with special needs that, you know, was just kind of putting it out there. Um, and then it kind of evolved even more because, I mean, Sharon, you might have seen this at the time too. They were playing the lottery or doing something with the lottery and, and they were pooling all their money together and they ended up winning some money and they donated like another $4,000. Oh my goodness. And so, wow. yeah. So the CRNA moms brought in like, you know, close to $10,000, I think it was, which was just, you know, it makes a person speechless because, you know, it's always difficult to ask for help. And then when you do, you're just humbled by people's kindness sometimes. And it was just a moment that I couldn't believe that happened. And then what happened from there was um, I'm full-time faculty at Rutgers University, the nurse anesthesia program in New Jersey. And one of my graduates saw what was going on and proceeded to send an email out to all of our alumni. And our alumni took it upon themselves to raise money. And my Rutgers alumni came together and raised like another give or take ten dollars to $15,000. And so it was just really incredible to think about being a CRNA, what this profession has continuously given back to me. And then this happens and it's just giving me even more. Now, it's just wild. That is amazing. And Jana, did you say, you did say something about the philanthropic arm of the New oh, Jersey Association. Yes. Because of course, Tracy texted me uh, to donate. She got on her <laughs> phone and and went to work um, on that. So you had those people working in your corner also. Oh, that Tracy Castleman, she can get money from a rock, I tell you. Amen, she, sister. Uh... And this is one of her rocks. <laughs> she is incredible. So, um, so again, you know, I wasn't looking to try to, you know, I don't know. So Tracy took it upon herself. Tracy is the president of the charity arm of our state association, which is called Anjana Cares. And she ran an entire campaign um, and raised another $10,000 for the playground. And, 
you know, really kind of put their word out there. And I mean, there hasn't really been an Indiana meeting in the last probably seven or eight years that the name Maureen McCartney Anderson hasn't been, you know, used at least once or twice. So there was an element of that. Also, I mean, Tracy Castleman, let's be serious. She's been, been, you know, a pillar to the entire state association forever. So it was just, it was so heartwarming to see all these members come forward from a state association to really support me in this time, because just a little backstory about some of that too, is when my son was born, he was in the NICU for 95 nights. Um, and I never left the hospital. I stayed in the hospital for all 95 days. And my son got out of the hospital on Labor Day weekend of 2016. That same weekend was when I started as my term as president elective and Jana. And at that moment, I, I was actually just going to kind of walk away from it all because I was having a hard time with a lot of things in life. And I can't do this. I can't do this. And Tracy convinced me to stay. And I continued on as president. And here we are today. Um, you know, I, I did all I could for a state association. And now look at what they're doing for me. Wow. How much what wow. did you have to raise by chance for that playground? What is the cost of an inclusive playground? So the most immense cost of the playground is actually the rubberized surface. And I don't know, you know, if you guys are familiar with playgrounds at all. They make them like this cushiony surface now that it's rubberized. Mm -hmm. It's actually really quite enjoyable to walk on as well. But it makes it accessible for wheelchairs, um, for grandparents that might have some gait issues or, or all sorts of, you know, it's, it's, it's also softer for kids to fall on. It's cleaner. It doesn't need to be replaced like wood chips. It doesn't need to be maintained like wood chips. Um, so that's the most expensive part. So that was half the cost. And altogether, it cost about $900,000. Did you say $900,000? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, did yeah, new you playgrounds get... were expensive, but that's... I had no idea. So, uh, did you get? Were you able to get some grants? Um, oh yes, yeah. we got a lot of grants that the town uh, matched as well. Um, and so, yeah, it, we we were able to make it happen. And so, but that was part of the process in terms of we started this in 2019. Um, we wrote a lot of grants in 2020, 21, and even 22. And then we, the playground started getting resurrected in September of 22 and was finished around Thanksgiving of 2022, or we'll say the end of November of 22. And we did a ribbon cutting ceremony. I think it was December uh, 17th of 2022. Attention nurse anesthetists. Are you ready to take the first step toward being your own boss? Well, join us for a deep dive into the world of 1099 work with the upcoming workshop, Understanding the 1099 Landscape for CRNAs. Discover the key differences between W-2, PRN, and 1099 work, and equip yourself with essential knowledge, tools, and real-life case studies to make a confident switch to 1099. Not only will you earn up to 5.75 Class A CE credits, but you'll also have the opportunity to learn from the industry's finest, Jeremy Stanley, Sharon Pierce, and more seasoned experts. Plus, enjoy the vibrant sun and golden beaches of Fort Lauderdale while you're at it. This event, approved by the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology, is set for October 19th at the luxurious Marriott Harbor Beach Resort and Spa. Register now and take the first step toward being your own boss and potentially unlock higher earning potential as a 1099 employee. You can register right now at 1099workshop.aana.com. 
We'll also link to that in the description of today's show. This is an event not to be missed. We'll see you in Fort Lauderdale. And since since it's been erected, what's been the feedback that you've received? So it's been really, really positive, thankfully. Um, I didn't have to answer any more questions about regularly developing kids. And it has been a massive draw to the larger community. So there are hundreds of children there on a daily basis. There was a day um, earlier this spring that four school buses came and came on a, a class trip for it. It's So it's been really, really well received. It's getting a ton of action and a ton of usage. Um, and it's kind of snowballed now because it's been in some of our local papers as well as the Asbury Park Press, which is kind of a larger newspaper in the area. And so now other towns want to do the same thing. And so I was actually just in a conversation yesterday um, with another local municipality about doing it, how it's going to get done, um, and if they need any help with design or anything like that. Not that I'm a professional playground designer, let's be serious. I give anesthesia for a living. But um, (laughs) And that's what this is all about, because when you're trying to do a project like this, if you leave the decisions up to people that aren't living that life or aren't experiencing that, the outcome might not be the best outcome because they're not walking in those shoes, you know, and having, you know, having parents, it wasn't just myself as a parent, I was kind of, you know, the leader of the parent group, but having other parents give feedback on, you know, this is what my child responds to, or this is, this is what we would love to see. And things like that is what really makes this kind of project come to life. Wow. Oh, well, wow. I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, to do this and uh, have to deal with all this and put it together and the advocacy that goes along with it, plus a daily life is just amazing. So, so what do you do next? What's kind of uh, on your agenda after putting all this together? Well, um, run for think- city co- council. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but the, um, what I think is, you know, what I've kind of stepping back and, and thinking about it because People have been commenting on this is so extraordinary. Like, I can't believe you've done this. And what I try to keep telling people is this is great, but this really shouldn't be considered extraordinary. This is what the ordinary should be considered. You should never build a playground or space in general in today's world that's purposely going to exclude anybody. And so we've made so many strides with so many different special populations that this should be a consideration as well. Like building a playground should just be, it should always be inclusive, no matter how you're building it, where you're building it and things like that. So in addition to the local municipality, the school had reached out to me, the um, local elementary school, because they were remodeling their playground and they wanted some input about elements of how to make it more inclusive as well, which I thought was great that they're taking the time and the initiative to do that. But on a bigger level, what I think would be really substantial in terms of making change is writing some legislation that dictates that every municipality needs to have an inclusive playground by a certain time period. And in order to meet that, they have to meet certain criteria is what I think would be really great. I just don't really know how, when that's going to happen yet. So you set up a charity. This is just kind of a uh, ancillary question. If somebody wanted to do it in their own township, would you be able to run it through that particular charity or, or are they going to have to set up their own charity, which is a lot oh, of work? I mean, we would, it is a lot of work. We would be able to help them. But I would say that by setting up your own charity, you're creating a more sustainable plan for the future. Mm-hmm. I would be happy to help them, you, you know, 
facilitate things through our charity, but I would also be happy to walk anybody through the process of setting up a charity and going through that because we set up this charity and now my particular municipality has already turned around and says that we, you know, that they're going to do another playground. And so I'm already thinking about how I'm going to fundraise for the next one. (laughs) And so Um, But I already have the charity in place in order to be able to help facilitate that. So did you manage the charity or after you got it to this point, are you going to turn it over to the city or how's that going to work? No. You're not. (laughs) (laughs) You mean a CRNA wanting to maintain control? I can't believe it. (laughs) Um, So I am the current president of the charity at some point. So it's a completely separate entity from the municipality and um, it's it's actually a, a cleaner and more transparent way to go. The municipality doesn't have any kind of insight or control of any of our funding whatsoever. It's a completely separate entity. It's a separate PO box. It's a separate everything. Um, so that way, if we did want to help another group or another entity of some variety, we'd be able to donate to whomever our board decides to donate to according to our mission and vision statements. Very cool. Very cool. Well, a lot of work, and you can tell you put uh, a lot of effort and heart behind this, Maureen. So as we kind of wrap up here, anything you want to conclude on or get across to our listeners? I would just say one of the um, the things that I, one of the other kind of challenges I found myself in before and I forgot to mention is, is a lot of people, when I talked about wanting to create an inclusive playground, they said, yeah, well, we're going to make that rubberized surface. And I finally got to the point where I said, well, that's wonderful, but are you going to have a rubberized surface with a bunch of equipment that kids can't get to? And so it kind of just made a lot of people pause when I would say that because accessibility doesn't equate to inclusion. And so just because you make anything accessible doesn't necessarily make it inclusive. And so inclusion is really the next step to things. And so, you know, I would just encourage society in general to try to embrace inclusion a little bit more and to maybe just stop and think about what inclusion actually really looks like because inclusion doesn't mean you have a playground and you have pieces for handicapped children in one area and other pieces in another area it's just all hybrid and nobody knows the difference between anything I have one last question does Raymond like the playground oh that kid loves the playground and what I think is so amazing is that He loves the playground and the kids don't think anything about him being there with, uh, with a walker. And, you know, they, there's so many different pieces of equipment that they can all be on together simultaneously. And which I think is great. And the one day I heard, um, it was about a month ago. So Raymond uses a walker and then he'll kind of trans transition into a, uh, into a swing or, or whatever, whatever else is going on there. So I was, transitioning him out of his swing back into his walker and he was kind of taking off going towards something else and I heard a little girl she was about 10 years old on the swing and she I could hear her turn to her friend and say that thing is so cool and she was talking about his it's a walker we call it a gate trainer and that's what it's about these kids are seeing these things they're not scared by them they say hello to him there's other kids coming to the playground because they feel like it is a place where they can be and and that's what it's about these kids are growing up seeing kids with differences and it means they're all kids they're there to play yes they are they are well maureen thank you thank you for for putting us out there and what a great job that crnas did in helping you uh, a wonderful yes throw out to all the crnas listening that 
the community of CRNAs out there will definitely support you and have your back. And I think that kind of showed right here in your situation and, you know, Sharon, I know you've known this for years, but I think there's a lot of CRNAs out there that don't realize this and don't realize the value that the organization and the people together bring. And I think this is just one of those scenarios that uh, kind of shows how powerful you guys can be when you'll just join together. It's amazing. I feel I've, I've been fielding so many messages from the CRNA community about this because it was highlighted in the CRNAs in the news um, on one of the weeks as well. And so I've had so many people reach out to me. How did you go about doing this? I want to do this in Texas. I want to do this in Virginia. I want to do this in Ohio. And um, it's been really, it's been really great to just see how we can help one another and, you know, make a, make a better world outside of anesthesia. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, Maureen, thank you for being on the show and uh, thank you for being, I guess you're willing to help anybody else who wants to do this. So um, this will definitely get your name out there and I'm sure people will be contacting you from, from our show as well. And, um, Sharon, I think and it's a wrap. They, if they Google Friends of Manasquan Parks and Recreation, they can find our website for additional contact information if anybody needs it. Well, we'll um, have them put that in the show notes because I don't think anybody knows how to spell that except if you listen. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, Sharon. I was like, what did she say? Man- Manasquan. <laughs> I know. You know, it's so funny. Yes, I live in Manasquan. And so, um, yes, we're just friends of Manasquan Parks and Rec. But, yes, I can send you any information you might want or need. Well, send it Perfect. on. We'll make sure it's in the show notes so that people can just click it because I'm not <laughs> too sure they'll know how to spell it. Unless they're a lot smarter than me and Jeremy. And there's a lot of those people out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep. Good, good stuff. All right, Sharon. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. I thought you forgot who you were again well, there for a minute. Well, it's been but, a uh, long day, buddy, <laughs> and there's still half of it to go. <laughs> uh, Sharon and Pierce, if they like our show and want to help us grow, what can they do to help us? Well, the best way to help us is to leave us a review, but make it. Positive. As we all know, Maureen and Cor- included here, uh, there are a lot of negativity, negativity and negative people out there. Isn't that the truth? But share us on social media. Tell all your friends um, that you listen to us. We grow by word of mouth. We're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country on the way to number. Number one, just like we are in the CRNA community. Yes, we are. So I think that's it. It's a wrap. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support.
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.